welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how are you doing? Hello Nick, I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm 100 euros poorer, but I'm good. 100 euros poorer? Hey, that's not bad. That ties in very nicely with the question I was going to ask you. This isn't a setup at all, listener. <laughs> so the question is, what's the problem with your bank, Dilly? The problem with my bank, Nick, is that uh, I broke it. Oh dear, you broke the bank. Isn't that what you do in Monopoly? Doesn't that mean you've won? <laughs> Am I in jail? Do I have a free pass? I hope so. <laughs> I um, um, I transferred money to Sri Lanka, and um, you have an indication on the screen how much you're transferring in Sri Lankan rupees and what the approximation is in euros. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's a healthy amount to part with. And I arrived at something. And then, like, you know, there are all the costs um, of transferring money to here and there and whatnot. So I was like, oh, okay, so I can expect a little bit more uh, to be taken off my account. But then four days later, I realized that they've overbilled me by 100 euros. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And um, luckily, for some reason, they send you an invoice or an abrechnung. Mm-hmm. So on it, it says that the exchange rate between Sri Lankan rupees and euros was... 254 rupees and 31 cents for a euro. And the Sri Lankan rupee is not doing well at all. And we haven't had that Mm -hmm. kind of range in over a year. And explaining this to several people, like eight people, it really does a number on you. Mm -hmm. Because um, the first thing they thought was apparently that I can't read the invoice. And so they sent me the same abrechno but with just like numbers highlighted on it. I mean, I'm super grateful. Oh, that's that's so that's so condescending. In yellow, you know, very traffic light kind of thing. Oh god. And when I I mean, one of the last few customer care representatives I spoke to, he was like, "You know, we don't get the exchange rate of Google, right? You can't know it's wrong." I'm like, "Um, I can, like, you showed me one amount online. It's not like, ah, mm. oh, you know, there are selling rates and there are buying rates. Yes, but when I'm transferring money in Sri Lankan rupees, the amount you're showing me in euros is also your, I mean, that's also your selling rate. And then you also sell your, uh, rupees to me again on the invoice and you can't have vastly different numbers online and then on paper. So that's where we are now. The social media team for the bank has been quite nice. Mm-hmm. When I posted my screenshotted rant on Twitter. Did they do something about it then when you when you contacted them via Twitter? Or is it just all niceties? Well, uh, they said I can email them my details and they'll forward it all to the um, Beschwerde management. So that would be the complaints department. And the thing is, I thought, the customer service agent is who you complain to, but apparently that's not the case. I mean, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have spoken spoken to eight people. Mm-hmm. Speaking? Why would I say speaking, Nick? So- I don't know. I've, <laughs> I, I, I turned my uh, English teacher brain off and I just accepted that it was a real word. I'm just like, yeah, go with it, Dilly. You know, you, you abuse the English language any way you choose. I'll support I you. I'll stand behind you going, yeah! <laughs> that's um, the spirit. This exchange rate thing is is pretty wild because the, the, num- 
the numbers you get on online mm. from what I've read are to do with like exchange markets. Mm. And although banks and like other sort of what you call them, these bureau, bureau de change or whatever they're called, these sort of exchange mm. companies, they... Um, Simon is uh, coughing at your fake French, by the way. Hey, like, look, right? You're lucky I didn't say bureau de change. <laughs> <laughs> bureau de change. There you go. See, that's what I'm talking about. Imagine I said that, listener. Imagine I said it exactly the way Dilly said, but, but with a Geordie accent. And so they apparently will buy at the currency exchange rate mm. and then sell differently in order to make profit mm. and i don't know it just feels like it isn't it isn't really fair i always feel like i'm being ripped off when i'm exchanging money i always feel mm. like you're the victim of, of a situation that's that you just have no way of, of coming back with you can't just produce rupees from thin air you know mm. for me i mean with the pound it's a little bit different the exchange rate is is not so harsh mm. but i do find that i have to like go online and then look at the numbers mm. and then type in the amount mm. um, and the way i do it is i don't exchange through any, anything mm. i transfer euros yeah. into yeah. Uh, to another account and it exchanges automatically and you just got to kind of hope it's around about the right number that's very clever isn't. that's what i should have done and actually like i switched to Komatz bank recently mm -hmm. from deutsche bank having mm -hmm. uh suffered through deutsche bank mm -hmm. uh, and its system for over 10 years and this is the first foreign transaction I've done with Komatsu Bank. And it's not gone well. Eh, it's not going that well. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it is. Yeah, it's something, a conversation Simon and I had a few years back about like different banks. Because my bank, uh, I got, it's like the family bank, basically, mm. for my wife's family. To the point that her grandparents initially invested to set it up. So like. The bank? Yeah, yeah. It's like it was a very oh, you local mean, bank. You mean like in the very posh sense of, oh, my family bank? No, no, no. It's as in, as in it's a building society that everyone in the various villages invested in oh, nice. uh, at the end of the Second World War. Yeah. And so it's not like it's not like we've got shares in the bank or anything, but mm. we the, the or maybe my, my wife's grandparents did. Mm. We definitely don't. No, I would have spent all that money by now. <laughs> So, um, but it's it's got a family connection and mm. it's kind of more like a building society than it mm. is a bank. And it's part of a larger chain as well. And uh, I've had frustrations with them for years over their kind of inability to modernize. Mm. But since, since they've introduced an app, it's mm. made my life a lot easier. But God, how long it took for them to introduce an app and the rollout of it. And it was all just a, a pain in the ass and it mm. works now, but yeah. It does mean that you have a more personal connection with the people who hold your money. Mm. Like we know the bank manager by their first name and, and stuff like that. Mm. And they know the family and, and things and, and those kinds of elements, which mm. I, I find kind of quaint in a lot of ways. And it's certainly not something you're going to experience at Commerce Bank, I don't. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think you're going to get to schmooze with the, uh, the higher ups. No, uh, no. With the executive board. No. Um, are you, if you, if you've exchanged money, like I remember going to Prague for the first time as a sort mm. of naive tourist and exchanging money at one of those places and getting ripped off mm. like real bad mm. and not really understanding why I, or how I was getting ripped off. Mm. And so I'm a bit more careful and a bit more savvy nowadays. Mm. But is this you basically going to change banks now? Are you going to choose a different bank? You're going to find one that's a bit more accommodating, perhaps. 
I, I think it depends on the response that they're going to give me because um, mm. I think what the, what has happened is a typo. So when they sell me rupees online, the amount is pretty much 354 rupees and 31 cents. But when it's on paper, it's 254 rupees and 31 cents. So it's exactly t- uh, 100 rupees mm. less on paper. Mm. You can't have two selling rates. I mean, that's too coinky-dinky. I think that's one of those situations where some best of will appear out of nowhere and go, uh, well, actually, I think you find uh, banks need to be able to turn a profit. And I'm like, yeah, but they turn a profit at every possible angle. Like, they turn all our money into more money. And yeah. it's like the most protected. The people who are the least protected are always the customers, I feel. We're always yeah. getting screwed over somewhere. It is like going to Vegas, you know. They always win. They always get what they want. Yeah. But the customer service is always pretty piss poor. It I like, is. I like how you'd said, you'd said the phrase, customer care. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> customer care, really? Is that something that exists? I'm not sure it does. Customer pain merchant, maybe. <laughs> Okay, so they, uh, it's very distressing because um, I have like screenshots of what they show online and I, I, I can like prove all my points. But mm. it's also very distressing that every now and then to get something done at the bank or like at some other institution, I always have to make a lot of noise. Like mm. I need medical care. No, mm. I don't look like this normally. I need allergy medication or something. And, and then, like, I get complaints from, like, friends, like, you know, you make such a big fuss. It's always very dramatic with you. It's not that I want things to be dramatic. It's not like mm. I want to have daily communication with my bank. But, yeah. I think that's the case in a lot of instances. You just have to rattle a lot of cages to get anything sorted mm. out. It feels like it's almost by design to wear you out, you know? Yeah. I had that experience with KLM last year. Uh, you've had that experience with the bank. Anyone who's dealt with uh, any level of bureaucracy will have had that experience of like phone calls that go nowhere, mm. having to speak to 18 different people about mm. the same topic, going to the doctors and then they send you a specialist and then they send you another person and you have to explain your problem numerous times to the same people over mm. and over again. And mm. they look more and more disinterested yeah. uh, the more they change, you know? Yeah. And uh, it, does, it does wear you out a little bit. It does. Um, Nick, did you mean the Dutch Airlines with KLM? Oh yeah, they they lost my baggage for five weeks last summer. It was a it was a running theme on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But um, anyone who can remember last summer, oddly enough, actually when I flew to Britain in Easter, mm. I didn't take any luggage because I'm not a fucking idiot, and I took everything <laughs> as hand luggage. And as I was about to go through the gate. Mm. Uh, the nice lady at KLM went, oh, by the way, you'll need to put your rucksack into the hold. And I was like, uh, no, no. And she looked at me like quite shocked. Mm-hmm. And, I, and and she was like, oh, no, you really do. And I was like, look, I gave you my luggage last year and you lost it for five weeks. So if you don't mind, I'm going to keep it all with me. And she was like, ah, okay, yeah. No <laughs> <laughs> she was like totally fine. Once they explained it, she was like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I remember the chaos. So... Yeah, ah, that's um, really sweet of her to let you. She was have Dutch. It. What can I say? <laughs> Slightly nicer version of Germany. Um, <laughs> so let's move on from that comment quickly, quickly, um, as quickly as possible. Also, they're very tall and beautiful. Anyway, uh, moving away from your banking trauma, can I quickly uh, give you a briefing of my microphone trauma? It just happened. 
What microphone? So I wrong? laughed because you cracked a very nice joke. And I had a notice on my screen saying your your microphone appears to be noisy. I'm laughing in South Asian Jitsi. Get used to it. <laughs> You're getting beef from our uh, uh, meeting software. Uh-huh. That, uh-huh. telling you off. You're too loud. It's like um, every um, white man in a meeting just going, <laughs> oh, you're getting too emotional. You're too loud. <laughs> yeah, so let me, let me Sorry, extract yes. us from this conversation on mm. microphones and KLM and banks and take you to the beautiful confines of the Bavarian forest Ooh. where I spent... The majority of Saturday. Uh, this, uh, listeners, and Dilly, uh, is another reference to wood. Apparently last week was a, the wood-based podcast as we talked about uh, puppets and uh, and a Shriner or like a, um, a carpenter's workshop. I was back on the wood, as it were, uh, <laughs> last, last Saturday um, as I, uh, I helped my family collect basically about two years worth of wood in about nine hours, I think it was. And uh, by golly, it was a lot of wood. And we do this, we do this, yeah, roughly every two years. And uh, we go into the forest, we cut up some logs. Well, I say we, your beloved German hero, my brother-in-law, Christoph. Christoph. Was, was in charge of the chainsaw and my, he looked he fine was. doing so. And he, uh, he cut the logs and I did the lifting alongside my father-in-law. Uh, and so it was a big family effort to collect all this wood together. And it was it was quite impressive by the end, the, the pile that we'd created of these giant logs. Mm. Um, my shoulders have still not quite recovered. Again, like last week, another one of those moments where the sun was sort of, sh- sort of afternoon sun was shining through the forest. Like the way the trees were, were sort of, the, the tree cover was, there was like, bolts of light hitting different parts of the the forest floor and it looked like magical it was like something out of a disney movie and i was just yeah, like yeah, standing yeah. there Nick, just, I get... just going like this is amazing yeah i i get the romanticization oh it's beautiful man i can't yeah, i really yeah, felt I like i was hugging is this, trees is this how was... you distract me from you know from asking you for the obligatory very what? hot video of you sweating and uh lifting <sighs> and cutting things has aaron taught you nothing I, I mean, like, I got a few questions about, like... Where, light hitting the top of the trees. Oh, hell. Yeah, like, there was a few people who were asking about, like, mm. where's the sexy photos of your lifting logs? And I was like, look, this isn't fucking Instagram, right? I actually had a job to do, and I'm with, like, a group of Bavarians. If I start getting all, like, selfie happy, I'll never live that down, you know? I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'll be ridiculed by by a big group of burly Bavarians. So, but pardon me for not... You said two. Well, there was three in total. I didn't mention the other one, but uh, uh-huh. and it was, there was a, a another father-in-law. My brother uh, Christoph's father-in-law joined us, so there was four of us in total. So you couldn't borrow Christoph's selfie stick. He was cutting wood with a chainsaw. Imagine the look on his face when I went. Oh, by the <laughs> way, Christoph, could you just stop doing the work that's taken like loads of time for you to do and just take a selfie of me holding this log? What kind of bell end do you think that's I am? That's not a selfie. Really? Then he's taking a photo of you. A oh, selfie okay. is when Sorry. you take one yourself. Oh, thank you for explaining general <laughs> internet parlance to me, Dilly. Thank you. I think whether it's a selfie or a photo, regardless, it would not have gone well. We had work to do, man. Like, I'm not there. I just wanted to show the, the amount of wood we'd collected. I didn't need to show any burly muscle photos. And Aaron, frankly, has the physique to become the German internet's favorite thirst trap. So I'm not going to try and challenge him. You've seen his arms. Every time he takes a photo, I'm like, God damn, those arms. Does he ever take photos in winter? Because everything he posts is very, very summery. Hey, 
when you have arms like Aaron does, <laughs> you can do whatever the hell you like. <laughs> but I found I found out some quite interesting stuff about like where the word comes from because I was kind of as where the Pepper word what oh where the word comes, comes from. from. Yeah, okay. where the wood comes from, because I was—I didn't really know exactly how it worked. I thought we were getting it from a farmer, and it's all sustainable. Like, and it's all been—is this like a process that's existed probably for like hundreds of years at this point? It's all church land, and it's administered to by by local farmers. And this is Nick going on to bore you, dear listener, with his what? Bavarian woodcutting. Uh, trivia. God damn, Dilly! What what crawled <laughs> up your ass? Jesus! I didn't real I didn't realize I was I was boring the listeners. Oh, well, Dilly. Okay, then. I, I, I want to hear about the church. No, 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 Dilly. No, Dilly. No, 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 no. You no, no, no. Too late now. Too late now. I want to hear about the church owning the woods. No, 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 no. It's all right. It's all right. I had questions. I had questions. No, it's too late. It's too late. Hey, Dilly. Why don't we move on to your topic? We'll see how exciting you are. I had questions. You said you cut wood for nine hours. You've got Simon's head is in his hands in distress. You've broken the mortal code of podcasting, which is you don't diss the person talking. You certainly don't tell them that it's fucking boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, well then, Dilly. Uh, well, listeners, if you want to hear about my adventures in the German forest... I do, you, I you, do. You can, I, I want you can, to know. No, no, too late. No, spoil the moment, spoil the moment. Let's move on. Anyway, Dilly, so uh, you wanted to talk about German traditions. So uh, I did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to you to entertain and dazzle the audience with your stellar discussion about German traditions. I'm definitely not going to sabotage it in any way, shape or form. <laughs> After you, Delhi. Okay. So, the I Am Germany account has... Boring! <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking, I'm joking. Sorry, I'm joking, okay, I'm joking. Nick, get it off your chest. I want to hear it again. <laughs> no, it probably is fucking boring. It's You're probably not. Right. It's just that no, I had a question. Okay, what's your, what's your question? The question then, was, so you said you didn't have time to take any photos, but you were there for nine hours. Did you not take breaks? Yeah, we took break. We, well, obviously, we had lunch. We had mm. soup noodle because it's really Bavarian. And then we had cafe and cooking around about sort of four o'clock. Oh, thank but goodness. other than that, okay. that, that wasn't really, we didn't stop uh, uh, other than those pauses. But um, again, okay. I'm, I'm really wary of, of sending the listener to sleep. I, I wouldn't want to do that. So um, we, can, we can move on now. Question number two. Do you oh, know that? Oh, right. Now you're interested, are you? Now you're interested. Okay. No, I. I <laughs> Okay, question number two. Do you know that? Uh, do you know the types of trees you cut? Uh, pine, basically pine ah, trees. Ah, okay. And is this going into firewood? Yeah, it's all firewood. We still have to chop it up. And so, uh, like, who owns the forest, and how how is it renewable? Oh, <laughs> too late now. Do you know you're not you're not you're not going to crawl back from this, Dilly. You're not. No, you're not going to crawl back from this. I refuse. I refuse. This is the first time it's ever happened in 124 episodes of I refuse to talk about something. I talk about pretty much anything, but I'm taking a goddamn stand. You know, you words, words, angry words, angry words in a sentence. Um, tell us about your uh, what, the German traditions. The German tradition. So the lovely I Am Germany account this week is asking or has asked people what kind of uh, traditions do they like in Germany and um, what do they not like? And I wanted to run some of these traditions by you. You live in Bavaria. You cut trees in the woods owned by the church. Yeah, so there we go. That's like the prerequisite. So these are the ones I've noted down, Nick. 
Yeah. When you moved in to your lovely home that you heat with firewood from the <laughs> from, from, from the trees from the forest that are owned by the church. It's yes. getting it's getting a bit it's getting a bit Dr. Susan here if you ask me. <laughs> so tell me, when you moved into your home heated by all the firewood, did people give you salt and bread as a home warming gift or a house warming gift? I don't know that they did. No. And we definitely definitely didn't get any knives either, which is the the worst gift you can give as a housewarming present. Why? Why is it the worst? Because I think it's just considered like a bad omen. Oh, again, there you go. It's German traditions. What are you going to do? But no, I didn't. Did you? Did you get any salt and bread? Nobody gave me salt and bread, but I've given people salt and bread because it's German tradition, and I think it's very. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 very meaningful. I always find like a a bottle of vodka does it right. A bottle of vodka that's a good gift i would say oh i've broken the man i've broken a bank and my podcast uh companion what a week i'm having okay next one do you ever have fish for christmas eve dinner oh god no how fucking depressing would that be oh no no definitely <laughs> not fish, like i can't think of a less celebratory dinner than here's some fish Ugh, no. But not yeah, at all. that's the thing you celebrate on Christmas Day. It's Christmas Eve. No, I mean like it's if it's the twenty fourth and it's it's first Christmas Day, right? First, second, third. Um, so I would say, nah. Like if we're celebrating Christmas in any way, shape, or form, or preparing for Christmas, I just don't think fish is particularly festive. Okay, because um, the first day of Christmas, second day of Christmas conversation is something we need to have. And since we've already exchanged words today and things are a little heated, do you want to put a pin in it and then come back to it later, Nick? Or are you going to abuse me again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I was so diplomatic. I'm proud of myself. i become my brother. We'll save it for December. How about that? Yes. We'll save it for December. The next one is, have you ever had a birthday? where it's a potluck birthday meal, but you bake the cake yourself. I've baked my own birthday cake before, mm-hmm. um, definitely, to take to like work mm. or something. But um, I haven't done like a potluck, mm. really. My birthday's like such a non-event. I hate birthdays. I, I, think, I think the celebration of birthdays is kind of like a bit redundant after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pagan ritual. Well, yeah. Well, if it's a pagan ritual, it means get get pissed and dance naked a, a, around a fire, and I can buy into that any day of the week. But I'm turning forty you have this the year, wood. and I have the words. I have the word for it that comes from the forest. It's owned by the church. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, what I would say is uh, the um, my fortieth birthday is, for as far as I'm concerned, a non-event. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean. I probably will just get a bit pissed and that'll be enough for me. So no, I don't buy into that tradition. Do you? I keep it very small. I like celebrating birthdays, but just within the family. I don't like big parties. That's very exhausting to have to be nice to people, be dressed up and everyone else is dressed up. So you have to make an effort. And by the way, we are the same age. Are we? Yeah. You said you're turning 40 this year. When's your birthday? November. Jeez, I'm older than you. Older than everyone. The only person I'm not older than is producer Simon, thank God. Um. <laughs> when when were you? Uh, what's your birthday month? August 30th. Oh, come on, Nick. Just three months or something. It's three three months, but it's it's those three months have made me a wiser and generally more polite and nicer person, apparently. so. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is. I'm not going to hear the end of this. Nope, nope. I'm, I was just uh, trying to steer the conversation to other things. 
and to circle back to it. But yeah. You can't fathom how petty and stubborn I am. And this is, this is you've activated my pettiness and it's full it's, force. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but well, at least you're graceful about it. So there. No, nah, there is so that. let's see if we can change that. Um, also, you can't do the, the obviously the birthday thing is you can't say happy birthday before a birthday because that's terrible for some reason. Yeah, is that in Germany? That's true. You people don't want to be wished uh, any time before midnight the previous day. It's a weird one. Very. You're not very strict about it. I'm not a superstitious person by heart and so like kind mm. of the idea that some bad luck might occur because mm. of someone wishing me happy birthday seems to me a little bit too suspicious. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not going to buy into that one whatsoever. Mm. So I have family in Australia in Melbourne and then in Sri Lanka. So that's um between Sri Lanka and Germany we have a 5 hour difference. And between uh, Germany and Melbourne, we have a 10-hour difference. So no one really gets it right when they wish other people on their birthdays. It's, it's, it's very hit and miss. It's just chaos. <laughs> it's just utter chaos. <laughs> There's no research, you know. In that situation, I mean, as long as you don't say happy birthday on the wrong day, then we're fine. My, I think my dad did that a few years ago. He sent me a text <laughs> message, said, happy birthday. And it was like, it was. I think he, he thought I was, I was my brother. Um, so. <laughs> not, not great not a great moment not a great actually moment. that's probably yeah. doing him a disservice i don't think it was my dad who was it i can't i can't remember who it was i think it was a family member anyway mm. apologies dad I'm, I'm probably blaming you for something that you didn't do so i mean there's i don't know what to make of these traditions there's some of them that i, I sort of buy into and some that i don't I, I still don't think any of those make you specifically german i think knowing about them means that you've got some good sense about germany mm. but i'm not sure if you do all of these things that you're somehow more german uh in some way well in a, uh, like a highlight this year has been that my father wished my dutch boyfriend so my sri lankan father wished my dutch boyfriend for his birthday, but a day before the actual birthday. Oh, God. He's broken so many rules. So many <laughs> cultural rules. It's a real minefield out there. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is nice. So um, if you don't look people in the eyes when clinking glasses, uh, you risk seven years of bad sex. Yeah, that's a really famous one. And I mean, pfft, I, I do it. I find it incredibly uncomfortable, but I do it anyway because it's kind of considered... It's not for fear of having seven years of bad sex mm -hmm. that again feels like a, a very made-up concept but um it's definitely something that simon and i have discussed on numerous times <laughs> checking notes did we look each other in the eyes yes we did okay good let's move on <laughs> yeah i feel uh, i mean I, i'm sure i don't look anywhere else but being told to look people in the eye makes me feel self-conscious about it and i feel like a serial killer the the thing I liked from this thread was uh, what Tina had to say about mm. um, the Ruatag, the lovely uh, Norwegian Frankfurter on yeah. uh, on Twitter, and uh, one of my favourite people for sure. And uh, yeah. she she pointed out that the Ruatag, the the the, the quiet days, especially Sundays, mm. are really lovely. Absolutely. Uh, I think you really appreciate it in cities when it gets that quiet, but in the in the villages, it's it's like super quiet. It's it's really something else. Yeah. Uh, so I, I definitely appreciate the quiet uh, more and more as I get older. I'm becoming um, a curmudgeon, I guess, but that's where we are. <laughs> My favorite one was by one of the nicer Nicks on Twitter, Nick. And uh, according to Nick, uh, you know. <laughs> 
people knock tables instead of clapping. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's we, nice. We do that at the end of lectures. Yeah. That's something yeah. that really shocked me was the first time I was lecturing and I finished and everyone banged the table. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit, what did I do wrong? Uh, <laughs> it's a sign of like respect and and uh, yeah, I really like it. I think that's It's a, a really, very organic sound that I've, co- I've got used to. I, I, I like it much better than clapping. I, d- I like it much better than, uh, than clapping as well. I really do enjoy that. I think it's something that... Um, I don't know, it just got something else to it. And certainly, like, if you clapped at the end of a lecture in Britain, people would think you were a right prick, you know, mm. like a sarcastic arsehole. Mm. But uh, in this... In this uh, Six one to no instant- one. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> Honestly, is this the last episode we're going to record? I feel like this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> Depending where you are in Germany, you may not have noticed that spring has arrived. I mean, here in Augsburg, it's only just stopped being permanently grey-skied, as it is every year from November to April. Perhaps Dilly has more luck than me, but I doubt it. One all-important indicator that spring is back in action is the opening of the ice dealers or ice cream shops uh, all across the country uh, as they exit winter hibernation. Every winter, ice cream shops close their doors and hang signs telling locals they'll have to wait a few months to get their hands on another ice cream cone. Uh, Usually people are happy when they can buy ice cream once again, but not this year. This time around, many Germans are complaining bitterly that the price of ice cream has gone absolutely crazy. So, Dilly, have you bought an ice cream yet? And was it worth the bank loan you had to get to buy one? I don't think I'm going to apply for a bank loan anytime soon at the Commerce Bank. Yeah, given your experience with the Commerce Bank, it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, and this also means I'll have to wait for my ice cream. It's bloody expensive. Yeah, I saw, I saw it said uh, a scoop of ice cream in cities like Berlin or Munich costs mm. around two euros. And the nationwide average price for a single scoop of ice cream is one euro 46, which is quite a lot of money. It's quite a lot of money. You're the one with a kid. What's ice cream like for you? Well, we go for ice cream because uh, it's usually around the sort of the start start of March that the shops begin to open mm-hmm. again and my daughter's birthday's at the end of March so we always take her for ice cream on her birthday mm. and uh, I, I, honestly I didn't look at the because we sat down and we had like a, a Sunday mm. and like, you're not really looking at the prices because it's you already know that's oh, probably about a tenner isn't it and you get this big glass full of different ice cream with like sana and and uh, I think what I get is the croquant Becca Ooh, it's full of like the nuts almond and crispies yeah yeah all that stuff so yeah. I'm, I'm happy to pay whatever the hell they want to charge for that of course I'll I mean you own day. a bank right your family <laughs> yeah, yeah of course we uh-huh. own a bank so we're very very wealthy um and uh <laughs> I, <laughs> I wish oh god maybe we are wealthy and no one told me I don't know um I'm they're certainly not going to tell me about it they're just send me to carry wood so the, i mean the very the prices vary depending on what you read because there's a spiegel article titled and plötzlich kostet einer kugel ice locker zwei euro mm-hmm. uh, which is to say like suddenly the price of, of of a single scoop of ice cream has gone up yeah um, i love the word kugel by the way which yeah. i think translates as bullet so it's like a bullet of ice cream or a ball <laughs> so, of ice cream yeah i know but ball of ice cream doesn't sound great scoop Lovely. Scoop is lovely. Do you want a ball of ice cream? No, thank you. Um, so the Spiegel article in, in question quoted different numbers. They said in Hamburg or Munich, 
uh, the prices are between 170 and 250, which is certainly larger than this supposed nationwide average of 146. Mm-hmm. And apparently last year it was 20 or 30 cents less in a lot of places. And in places that, that it's most expensive are usually those in rural areas. And it, it gives an example in this article of the town of uh, Vadislo, in, uh, which has 13,000 inhabitants. Mm. It's in the middle of Munsterland mm-hmm. and it's, it's not close to any major uh, cities. And its ice cream parlor increased their price per scoop by 20 cents from 110 to 130. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing these sort of prices rising everywhere. Yeah. I mean, everywhere prices, things just things are getting more expensive. Yeah. Inflation being what it is. Yeah. But if it was 250 for a single scoop of ice cream, I just wouldn't buy that at all. I wouldn't feel that was worthwhile the price. We eat a lot of ice cream during the summer because, mm. hell, what, what else are you going to do when it's really hot? But 250 would put me off. 250 would be like very fancy ice cream. If it was fancy ice cream, well, yeah. But if it's your bog standard ice dealer in in the middle of of augsburg and they're they're charging you 250 for a scoop of ice cream which what that makes it like a fiver for two scoops yeah and then you're paying for the cone so it's over a fiver for uh, two scoops of ice cream and a cone doesn't seem worthwhile to me wait a minute so when they say like what 130 or something the the cone is separate it's extra i think if you get a sugar cone it's different so Ah. if you get like a waffle cone yeah you get the sugar cone and like come on if you get an ice cream you want the sugar cone right like my reasoning is when i was a kid we didn't get a lot of these kinds of things there was four of us cost a lot of money of course and so like if we got ice cream we got the standard ice cream and it was mm. mr whippy which by the way is lovely don't mm. no knocking mr whippy a 99 ice cream is lovely and mm. um, mr whippy with a um, a cabri's flake in it oh, gorgeous right but the sort of sugar cone was always the dream or the one with the sprinkles on it oh god the dream of of of, of little nick really um, yeah yeah so like i always go for broke when i buy ice cream but now i'm going to be seriously reconsidering that decision you married well um you know into a very wealthy family to back that <laughs> dream of yours <laughs> i know yeah we need that bank account you need the uh, bank account the Spiegel article interviewed a woman called Davina Utz, mm. who is a Munich-based owner of an ice cream parlor. Mm. And she came up with a number of reasons why the price is so high. Mm. She said that bad weather was was one reason. Also, cost spike in ingredients because of the war in Ukraine. She's quoted as saying, I pay 60% more for sugar than last year, mm. 40% for ice cream cones, mm. and over 100% for dextrose. And the, the sort of gum binder that they use hmm. uh, which is 250 percent more yeah. and that's a lot of lot of kind of costs that are being mm. incurred by the people who run these places and yeah i can understand why they're concerned but I, yeah. I kind of feel like people in munich probably have a bit more cash in their pockets than than average certainly bavarians do if you look at the uh, statistics the average bavarian's got a bit more disposable income to spend on luxuries like ice cream what does she mean when she said bad weather? I mean, it was cold for half the year. Well, I think that has more to do, and this is something that that surprised me. Mm. And again, I'll post all these links on the on the podcast. Mm. But there was a, um, I think it was a ZDF article that had a breakdown of the price increases across different mm. flavors of ice cream, mm. which were, were quite dramatic. Do you know which has the biggest markup? Which ice cream has the biggest markup? Of all the flavors? Um, I'm going to say salted caramel, but 
<laughs> Salted caramel. No, I'm afraid not. Caramel is actually uh, has a markup of 9.4%. So that's the price increase has gone up by 9.4%. Mm-hmm. Actually, the flavor with the highest markup is vanilla. 16.6% higher price. And what I learned about vanilla mm. is actually vanilla ice cream is one of the most expensive ice creams to make. Mm. And again, that came as a bit of a surprise mm-hmm. because, the again, the stuff you learn about bloody ice cream, um, the things that I just had no idea about, about how Ooh. vanilla is grown. And that um, vanilla comes from an orchid plant, yeah, right? Yeah. And there's only so many places that grow this particular plant yeah like madagascar yeah the vanilla beans come from madagascar and it's 80 percent of the world's sort of vanilla beans come from madagascar and um they have had some pretty awful weather oh, bad uh, weather over the last couple of years. okay exactly right, right. Got exactly you. so that could be what's being referred to with bad mm. weather and there's been there's been cyclones and things like that, storms. There's a big storm in 2017 that had an impact on the growing season. Aww. And there's a knock-on effect because of that. And it is, I think the price per kilogram is $600 per kilo, uh, which is 10 times more than it was just a few years ago. So that's something that is definitely driving up costs mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of people. And yeah, I, I mean, I didn't realize that that was that would be the case. I always just assumed chocolate is the most expensive, right? Yeah, because like cocoa. Um, I mean, uh, cocoa is also sourced from outside of Europe, right? Mm-hmm. I just had a question about ice cream, though. In Germany, I've been looking for sugar-free ice cream, and that is not something you find in Germany, not even in the supermarkets. I mean, I'm I'm not going to jump in with the obvious. Th- complaint of like who would want to eat sugar-free ice cream but it is i would assume not something that people really would want to buy i doesn't i've never seen it i've never seen no. it are you talking about like with sweeteners not with sugar maybe with sweeteners maybe with sweeteners or just like fruit pulp because um yeah i mean in my family there are a lot of diabetics and we are we've always like looked at like sugar-free treats and Germany doesn't have much of a market for like sugar-free chocolate and stuff or ice cream. I think so in the south in Bavaria mm. if you ha- find an ice dealer you are looking at something that's trying to replicate a very Italian style of ice cream. Mm. And that's what people like yeah. the most. They don't buy in for these like machines like if you go to an ice cream van in Britain mm. you'll get maybe some like horrible scooped ice cream or you'll get a Mr. Whippy that comes out of a machine, has a lever, and it's sort of, it's whipped, it's, it's literally whipped cream oh. uh, that's, that's very cold. And it's yeah. delicious, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the same as gelato, you know, if you can get hold your hands on some of that, mm. um, you know you're, you're, you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. So sugar-free certainly isn't something that, that you see very often. Yeah. You'd think that would make it a bit cheaper, maybe. Um, I don't know. I mean, if sugar, it also depends on sugar alternatives and their costs right now, I guess. I think sorbets are cheaper as well. I think that's right. Oh, I have to okay. double check. I, and I have to go to the ice. You're giving me a reason to go to the ice cream shop at the weekend. Research. Um, 
There is other reasons, though, why the prices are quite high. I didn't know this until I, I, I delved into this the ZDF article, mm. but a scoop of ice cream today weighs 80 to 100 grams. In the 1960s, it was 25 to 30 grams. I so the size it. of the scoop of ice cream is much bigger than it is. Uh, than it was, sorry, in the past. Um, Are we giants of, or something? Or like, were they eating like a teaspoon? The best bit of that article was the, this line where it said, Germany uses traditional scoops. The reason is the widespread need of Germans to continuously get the same amount for their money. <laughs> I was like, yep, you've nailed Germany right there. <laughs> you've totally got it. Uh, you understand how this country works. But there's also a, a price perception issue, mm. and uh, there is um, a, a lot of uh, theorizing about this. Mm. But the um, the idea is that because ice cream prices are adjusted every year, mm. it's very visible, and it's very much like the Oktoberfest beer. Mm. And the joke is always that I make is that the Oktoberfest beer prices are how people perceive inflation. But now, mm. apparently, through ice cream as well, yeah, and so. Because it happens every year, people perceive it more easily and, and it has more of a kind of psychological impact on people mm. because of that. There was also like a trend through these articles about, oh, well, you know, the minimum wage has an impact because a lot of the employees are working on minimum wage mm. and the minimum wage has gone up. And I'm like, yeah, like let's not blame trying to pay people like yeah, a living wage. That's true. That's yeah. not, not where we should no. be at all. So yeah, there is some perception issue that we might have to think about. But the other side of it is a lot of conversations, and I always hate these conversations. People go, oh, you know, when in the 80s, it cost so many Pfennig or so many Deutschmarks for, uh, mm. for an ice cream. And I'm like, get over it, granddad. You know, <laughs> like, the Deutschmark is gone. Get over it. Like, why are you even worried about that? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, yeah, in the 80s, you also had a wall that segmented the entire country you bunch of weirdos <laughs> not everything was do you remember do you remember when we were all terrified of nuclear war yeah i don't I don't think the ice cream tasted any better because of that and readers that is how he says nuclear again i have fucking hell i'd have walked into that didn't i uh, yes i orchestrated the whole thing go down to your ice cream parlor have a have a look buy some ice cream tell us dear listener how uh, how expensive your local ice cream is and if you get a good deal let us know because we'll hop in the car and come and find you mm-hmm yeah Much of the last week has been taken up with discussions about a new proposal from the Ample Coalition uh, the German government concerning plans to phase out oil and gas powered heating systems in people's homes and it's created a massive uh, national discussion about whether this is the right policy and whether we're maybe pushing things a little bit too much whether the government's pushing individuals into doing something that isn't uh, in their best interest uh, the background behind this is economics and climate protection minister robert harbeck who is uh, with the greens and the construction minister clara guyvitz who is part of the spd have presented this plan for the phase out and it basically looks to replace heating systems mm. heating systems using oil and gas yeah. uh, in Germany by 2045. Mm. According to uh, reports, more than 80% of heat demands are covered by burning fossil fuels, uh, which means that approximately 41 million households in Germany heat with natural gas, followed by heating with oil, which makes up something like 25%. 
And then there's what they call district heating, which is kind of centralized heating, I guess, through a power station, through underground pipes. Mm. And that makes up about 14% of people's heating. Mm. Clara Geivitz said that the law will uh, not be... Uh, will not force people to sell their homes Mm -hmm. which is always it's always good when the uh, government says something like that you know (laughs) our law will not force you to sell your home you're like oh i'm full of confidence now um they've said that there's going to be a generous transition period there's going to be exceptions that that dilly's going to mention a little bit but the idea is that they're aiming to meet these obligations for the requirement to use renewable energies within three years after heating systems are replaced and that's sort of the aim to transition away from oil and gas and use something that is a little less detrimental to the environment Mm. Um, so that's that's the background but that all sounds very kind of a modern and certainly very forward thinking but my god the reaction across the country has been pretty horrific there was an interesting stat i saw on twitter today where they were talking about the majority of germans are in support of ideas and plans to reduce co2 and and make germany climate neutral but in the same vein the majority of germans are against nearly every policy that attempts to do that so there's this dissonance happening within germany where germans want to protect the climate but don't actually want to do anything to protect the climate and this is one of the examples that has been presented to how to reduce uh, co2 and and, and make mm-hmm. germany climate neutral and it seems like a fairly good idea uh, maybe it needs a little bit more detail but I thought, Dilly, we could run through the key points and mm-hmm. sort of help listeners maybe understand some of the changes. So yeah. the first key point is from 2024, any new installed heating system yeah. will have to operate on a 65% renewable energies, which doesn't seem too dramatic, right? It seems like a good policy. It seems like a good policy. And I mean, much of the things that they are aiming for seem quite sensible, particularly the deadlines and the years. Mm. I am the wondering uh, about one thing. So you have Karl Lauterbach with the SPD. He's a federal minister of health. He's asking for hospitals, care and rehabilitation facilities to be exempted from the energy transition. So even uh, with homes, for instance, people are reinstalling systems or going for completely new systems after breakdowns after the 1st of January 2024, they will have to get systems that support renewable energy sources uh, at a capacity of 65%. But hospitals and other facilities won't even need that. So is there a reason why he feels that these facilities should be exempt? The reason that I keep reading in the articles is that he does not want to jeopardize the existence of hospitals and care centers and so on, or the uh, smooth running of them. You don't want, yeah, that's the reason. Okay, I mean, that seems pretty reasonable, but I do think at some point there has to be some kind of transition for those places. Mm -hmm. And I think part of this is there is a lot of to and and fro in because the technology isn't exactly perfect. and, And from my reading today, the heat pumps uh, are usually used in, in areas with a mild climate. And certainly we've had a mild climate for the, the last couple of years. It hasn't been extreme uh, cold as there has been the way I remember it, certainly a decade ago. So the, there is some questions about their usage in more extreme weather conditions. Mm. There's also some questions around uh, what kind of 
chemicals are released in the process of using these heat pumps that are being advocated by Robert Harbeck, mm. these uh, Warmpumpers, what they call them mm. in Germany, uh, because there is a discussion currently ongoing within the EU about, mm, well, maybe the chemicals they use to cool and warm the air mm. might actually have a negative impact on people's health. Mm. Uh, so that is certainly something that's open for debate. But the, the the sort of overall idea is that, and, and one that's been outlined, is that the draft law uh, talks about a connection to a heating network or uh, direct uh, heating through electricity mm. and under certain conditions, heating based on solar or thermal energy, mm. biomass heating, hydrogen heating, and, and use of, of other renewable gases. Mm. So there is ideas about like, what can we use to power them? How can we make this more green? Mm. But currently there's no sort of obligation to to change. Mm. And uh, the houses and, and, and apartments and hospitals and whatever can still use these heaters for the, for the present mm. um, moment. But the idea is should those heating systems break down or that they can't be fixed, mm. they then should be forced to transition. And by 2045 at the latest, um, the use of fossil fuels should be ended. And um, I don't know, every time there's a discussion about what people need to do to help fight climate change, it feels like politicians kind of jump in and go oh no we can't do any we ha can't do that mm. we can't get rid of the combustion engine we can't get rid of oil and gas we can't shut atomic energy um facilities mm. you notice how i avoided that particular word there um you uh, <laughs> uh you uh you can't do say these things you know say and, 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 and no i'm not gonna say it and uh, what sort of gets to me is again it's that thing like last week there's no reason for investment into the companies that make these devices or attempts to make them more efficient if there's no like market interest. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you're creating a very big market interest mm -hmm. in these products, which of course then has a knock-on effect. A lot of economists have said, oh, do we have the people to actually make them? Now that is a different question, of course. Like, can they be made? Can we actually install them, you know? Um, there is obviously a, a dearth of skilled labor in Germany that we've discussed a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to trivialize this, but I'm wondering, so if you have only a very few institutions uh, like hospitals and so on using these by then outdated heating techniques or systems, then this means that there will be a demand for very niche repair people and maintenance people. And who's going to do that? We are thinking about 2045 or maybe even beyond, you know, it'll be a good time to be um, outdated heating system repair people, I think. Potentially, but also there'll be demands for people who can, can fix and maintain and, and build these ramp pumper. Mm. So, I mean, like, I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And again, mm. this also, it's like everything, right? Because it's all holistic. All these things are all connected. So if they achieve the goal of attracting 300,000 migrants to Germany, skilled migrants at that, mm. uh, then you have a good base to create and build these, the and, and make them more efficient and, and all these other, other things, mm. make these devices better and maintain them. So, so again, it, it, there is a lot of factors that need to to fall into place at the same time, mm. and, I, and I understand as well this this anger that people might feel because they feel that they're the ones who 
have to do things what about big companies what about countrywide policies we've just closed nuclear power plants weren't they a solution to the problem and it's like the solution isn't going to come from one thing it's going to come from multiple different directions Mm -hmm. and it seems very disingenuous when the cdu especially have been the most vocal opponents of this Mm. i watched an interview with jens spahn the former health minister of the previous uh, merkel-led government Mm. And he, uh, it was the article and uh, led me to watch the interview. And he used the word crowbar like uh, uh, so many times in the beginning of his sort of argument mm. that um, one of the other people on the panel said, uh, oh, you should, you should have a schnapps every time you say crowbar. Because <laughs> uh, he was, and, and it's a line that's been used not just by him, but by other CDU politicians. Mm. I think it was... Um, Kretschmer in, uh, in Saxony, I think it was, mm-hmm. he was um, giving it his, his all in the state parliament because of this um, new regulation. Mm. And he said, it's going to bankrupt the the people of, of Saxony and mm. we can't afford it. And uh, he used quite sort of millenarian language mm. as if it was like the end times were coming yeah. and it's going to bankrupt the state and we just don't have enough money and and all of these things. And it, it's like every time there's a change in Germany, that's the, <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, it's the end times are coming. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is me. Yeah, you have the people... <laughs> with the bills and the sandwich boards and they're the loudest here it very much gets like that and i feel like you know the cdu again and i keep saying and i feel like i'm the only one in the whole country fucking saying this but they were in power for 15 fucking years you Mm. know we could have rolled out some of these ideas then but they didn't do anything they Mm. didn't push any change they didn't push Mm -mm. car manufacturers to change they Mm. didn't push individuals to change they didn't look at any of the things they could have looked at so of course the things we introduce now are going to be more drastic because we've done fuck all about it for 15 years and it's like well what do you want if everyone wants change but no one wants to feel the pain Mm. what do you do and eventually something has to give and i think this might be that moment where maybe we do need to be kicked up the arse and told you know this is how we're going to do it this is the way we're going to go and it doesn't seem like it's particularly vicious it doesn't feel like they're doing something that's going to bankrupt people Mm. there is ideas about subsidies there is ideas about exceptions there is discussions about how best to implement this process there's going to be a a grace period there's certainly new rules for apartments as well and Mm. and places where people are older than the age of 80 there is going to be um, some sensible options here Mm. but as of yet there isn't a solid idea about how to fix these things Mm. but it's just an initial it's the initial presentation yeah you can't poke holes in something that where like you can't hold up some Swiss cheese and go, this is Swiss cheese. It's It's got holes in it. Like, And then people go, but it's got holes in it. And you're like, yeah, no, it's got holes in it. <laughs> like, it's got holes in it. We were aware of that. But you know, mate, they've got hole- look at those holes. There's a big one there. And you're like, yeah, we know, we know. We're going to work on that. And look at the cheese around it. Yeah, yeah. And I just feel it. it's very much that thing of like, yeah. oh, we can we can see it doesn't work yet. And it's like, yeah, because it's not a draft law yet. It's, it's, it's yeah. going to be fixed. We're going to look at these things. A little bit of patience. I have a question though here, Nick. Do you think like um, sustainable forests and woodcutting is going to help here? You know, this is something someone actually brought up and I thought it was quite an interesting point. And uh, I don't think heating your house with wood is a good idea for like entire cities. Says the lumberjack. 
No, it's true. I mean, like, you can't have entire cities heating their homes on with wood. But, like, when you look at a, a settlement of 200 houses in the middle of nowhere that's been doing this for hundreds of years, I don't really see that same dynamic. When we start f- heating our factories and all the, the tower blocks with, with wood, then we might have to have a discussion. But, yeah, I don't think it's a viable option when it comes to germany's energy needs Mm -hmm. um a wild idea for bavaria might be to you know allow people to build wind turbines there's a start because one of the things that came out of that interview with jen span on annaville uh the other day was how few uh wind turbines have actually been built in bavaria Mm -hmm. it just seems almost insane that we're in a situation where the csu openly kind of block any attempts to introduce renewable resources they block any attempt to put power lines through to connect the northern wind farms to the south it just feels like well at what point do we do something do we just sit on our hands and wait hopefully for for some magic solution some technology-based solution that we haven't heard of yet Mm -hmm. or have marcus soda tell us all about how hydrogen power is going to power germany even though um it's very inefficient and doesn't (laughs) really work on scale it just feels a little bit like yeah what do we do then do we just wait until we all die do i do i tell my kids hey sucks to be you but it's probably good that you learn how to use a shotgun and drive like a car and mad max because that's the life you're gonna live you know like is that is that the plan do i show my daughter when she turns 16 this is this is what mad max looks like and this is what your future is and uh best get learning now i I just feel like we've got to start doing something yeah absolutely yeah it impacts you and it impacts me and i'm happy to take take that hit i think no but then i do own a bank so you do own a bank and um and you live close to a forest where you cut wood for the church anyway That brings us to the end of the show. We are off to buy an ice cream maker. Yum, yum, yum. We're going to make some money. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, or lowercase, on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash DecadesFromHome and contributing to help keep this boat afloat. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at DillyAlgama, and you can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us on DecadesFromHome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Tschüss.